Hi, my name is Zara. And my name is Moisha. And you're listening to That's What They Said. Where we break down the them versus us narrative. Hope everyone had a great turkey giving. Here in Canada, we were celebrating Thanksgiving last weekend, and that's why Marsha and I were not able to upload an episode, so we apologize for that. But we were just spending some time with our friends and really just being thankful for everything in life. And in a food coma. That's true, that's true, yeah. yeah. So Marsha, how was your Thanksgiving? It was pretty great. Um, you know, we celebrated. I had two Thanksgiving dinner with two different groups of friends. The first one was with you guys, yep. and uh, it was great. And the second one was, another, was with another group of friends. Both were potlucks. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. Actually. You just get to spend, you know, such good quality time yeah. with great food, with good friends and good people. And I made a pumpkin spice cheesecake. Yeah, um, it was good. Thank you, because my <laughs> cream cheese didn't, because um, it was like a no-bake cheesecake, so the cream cheese didn't really set. But that doesn't matter. It's the flavor that matters. Thanks. I really appreciate yeah. that. But mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, no, it was great. great. Yeah. How, was, how was yours? It was great as well. Obviously, I got to spend it with you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> no, it was honestly so awesome. Like, I love hosting, and um, it was... You did a great job. Thank you, thank you. We hosted at my house, and I made the turkey for the first time ever. And it was so delicious. Thank you, thank you. I've never made a turkey before, and... I also don't like turkey, so I'm hoping it was good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So today we'll be talking about a very important topic. But before we get into that, Maisha has a story that she wants to tell everyone about. Okay. So this was around, what, two weeks ago? I got an email from DoorDash. For those who don't know, DoorDash is a food delivery service like Uber Eats or Skip the Dishes. Um, You know, they send me an email saying that, you know, earlier this month, and this was in September they sent me the email, they sent that um, earlier this month they became aware of unusual activity involving a third-party service provider. They launched an investigation and found that, you know, an unauthorized third-party accessed some DoorDash user data on May 4th, 2019. So they found out, what, five months? Yeah, Mm -hmm. five months after it actually happened, and I was one of those users data was accessed and what was the data that was got accessed um names email address delivery address so my home address essentially order history phone numbers and for some consumers the last four digits of their credit cards essentially oh man address credit card right yeah i saw the email email and i was like are you you kidding me and you know they say what they've done they did an investigation and you know they kind of like resolve things Mm -hmm. but then they say what should you do and under that they said we recommend you changing the passwords if you're using the doordash password for any other account you should change it i'm like you know, you read about these data breaches and you're like, you wish you're not in one of this. And when yeah. I saw the email, my first reaction was, I looked at my credit card because I was like, oh my God, is there like any unusual transactions? There wasn't. Mm-hmm. But it's just a st- headache. It was yeah. a stress. No, it, it's definitely stressful. But, you know, at least you were informed, bright side, maybe. Mm-hmm. maybe. You know, like <laughs> six months later, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to progress into what we're talking about today. Yeah which is data, or big data as we call it now. Mm -hmm. And we're basically looking into how data has changed the definition of privacy as we see it today. So obviously, we'll start off with what is big data. It's in the name. It's just data that's very large. So it's extremely large data sets which are collected from users, users like you and me. Mm -hmm. And these data sets are analyzed computationally to reveal patterns, trends, associations, and basically these trends are related to human behavior and interactions. 
So rather than focusing on, say, individual pieces of data, they look at all the different data that's been that's been collected, and they use it to infer general trends over mm-hmm. an entire set. So what counts here is not the quantity of data, but rather the quality of all the different quantities of data. And, you know, data itself, I just want to jump in here and say mm-hmm. that, you know, sure. data itself doesn't really have any value. If, you know, and collecting doesn't just have any value. Yeah. It requires expertise to kind of like, you know, extract the data, clean the def- data, refine it, and then analyze give it, yes. insights, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So how is this data collected? Mm-hmm. Most of you probably know the answer to this. It's based on our everyday behaviors, the things that we do, essentially, especially on the internet. So I'll give you a personal example. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good one. Yeah, um, and obviously Donald Trump has to be brought into everything. So this is this is related to Donald Trump. He'd so, be so happy in front of our podcast. <laughs> yep, yep. So after the 2016 election, I'm not sure when, but sometime after the 2016 election, CNN reported something about him, and I just wanted to know whether CNN was reporting it the way Donald Trump actually said it, whether it was not, whether it was, like, misconstrued. So mm-hmm. I went on to Donald Trump's Instagram page, and I started following him. Mm-hmm. I started going through all his posts, and I followed him on Twitter. And I think that's a great thing, because he wanted to know where, you know, from the source. Yeah, I wanted to know, like, what did Donald Trump say? Like, yeah. I don't just want to know what CNN thinks he said. Yeah. Like, I'm not a Donald Trump supporter, but I still got to know what the man yeah. said. Yeah. <laughs> I can't just believe CNN. Yeah. Yeah. So I went on to his page. I followed him on Twitter. I followed him on um, Instagram. I followed him on... Yeah, so I went on there, I followed him, and I guess that little follow rampage went into my data, mm-hmm. and the next day, I went on to Amazon to, like, and in my suggested suggested items, there was a, I think it was, it was a flag or a hat, but it was a Make America Great Again hat, I think. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> and it showed up for a while after that, too, so, yeah, so that is targeted advertising. What I searched mm-hmm. showed up the next day somewhere else, yeah. so my data was collected, and... Yeah. The way that these data these datas are collected in a more technical way, but without getting too technical, there's essentially online trackers mm-hmm. and cookies. Most of you know what cookies is. They use codes in your browser, which follows you as you surf the internet, and then they collect your data that way. Yeah. So a simple and relatable way to look at this is through social media. Mm-hmm. And Facebook obviously is the biggest example of data collection. Yeah. So what do you do with Facebook? You create an account. And when you create an account, you have to enter your email, you enter your phone number, then you start doing Facebook likes, you start liking pages, you start liking posts, you start watching videos. And and that's you, just you using Yeah, you're using Facebook. it, yeah. And then, so that information is collected along with how many seconds that you've spent looking at a post, mm-hmm. how many seconds you've spent on the site itself. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of information that we're giving away. And, you know, yeah. to us as we're doing it, it seems like we're using it for free, but in reality, we're not using it for free because mm-hmm. we are giving them data for the yeah. time that we've spent. And... This data is used by Facebook for targeted advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, right? Because these uh, tech companies were mm-hmm. collecting the data, right? Not just Facebook, but Google or YouTube or many other companies, right? And it's not necessarily tech. We'll go into later into how it's also in other industries. Yeah. But these companies are collecting the data, and especially specifically for Facebook, they're selling essentially access to you, right? Mm-hmm. And when you do that, your online activity, as you were saying, the pages you liked, uh, the posts you saw, how many seconds you were viewing something, um, the pa- uh, the videos you watched on YouTube, it all essentially helps uh, you being grouped into segments. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, businesses need to understand which demographic they're targeting. Mm-hmm. So essentially, when you're 
take when you're kind of like carving out segments from the population, it helps businesses target you with the specific and relevant information. Yeah, that's targeted advertising. Yeah, and then they send you ads. And they send you like your make America great again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So on that note, let's do a little experiment with Facebook. So grab your phones, grab your laptops. And, and you guys are going to find this interesting, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if you knew, but you can access all the data that Facebook collects and the mm-hmm. ads that are targeting you. Yeah. You can actually access this information from Facebook's yeah. actual page, and then you can download it as well. Mm-hmm. So, let's get on Facebook, and then go into your settings, which is on your right-hand side. And then, once you're in the settings page, to the left is ads, and you can click on ads, and it'll take you to a very long list, which says your ad preferences. So the first one, well, the first one is your interests, but what's really interesting here is if you scroll down to the second section, it's advertisers and businesses. And advertisers and businesses basically shows all the advertisers which have run an ad in the past seven days Mm -hmm. using a list uploaded to Facebook containing your information. So this could be like your email address, your phone number, and then Facebook matches the uploaded information with your profile and then without revealing your identity, they keep it anonymous. They match the information to give you those ads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a few lists. There's who uploaded a list with your info and advertised to you. And then there's another list which says, which says who has uploaded and shared a list with your information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can read more about that on the Facebook page itself. Like you'll actually get an idea about, you know, which company's ads are you seeing, whose ads you have, you know, hidden, whose ads you've clicked on. Essentially, there's a record of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we do encourage listeners to actually do do take a look yeah. at it because this information is available. Mm-hmm. And as a user of Facebook, which I think most of our listeners are, uh, and considering that it is your data that it, Facebook is using and collecting, you have every right to see what data, how your data yeah. is being used, and we know in what way are you benefiting from it. So yeah. I, we we would encourage you to go check these out. Yeah, for and sure. you can even see if you click on more, you can see ads that you've hidden or you can actually go ahead and hide certain apps and certain businesses mm-hmm. who you don't want to receive ads from yeah. anymore either. Yeah. So you can explore that and while you explore that, you can scroll down a little and go into your information. And this is where it gets a bit alarming. Yeah. <laughs> alarming and informative, I guess. Yeah. Um so it, it basically groups you to categories like Marsha was saying before. Yeah. And the categories are very eerily matching. On point. <laughs> On point, yeah. They match. They definitely put me in the right categories, I would say. Oh, like, me too, for yeah, sure. Like for Maisha and I both, we are in the away from family category. We, because yeah. we live abroad. Yeah, we live abroad away from our family. There's also a lives abroad category. Yeah, and there's a birthday in December, and both of us are in the birthday in December category. And then one that I found very, very like accurate and also kind of scary that they know that is that I'm in the early technology adopters category. And I, I generally do lean towards new technologies. So I always want to just get them. So how do they know that? Like, I don't, I don't even use Facebook that much. But, you know, mind you, this is information based on, like, from Instagram mm-hmm, and that's true, Facebook. That's so essentially, they've combined all that data and yeah. presented you as such, right? Yeah. So it could be that, you know, whenever <laughs> a new, like, iPhone comes out or something on Bloomberg or Business Insider on yeah. your Instagram feed, you see it. That's you see true. the video. And but how do they know I adopted it? Whatever. It's I don't know. They're still <laughs> extrapolating from the seconds that you watch yeah. the video. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe my purchases. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So essentially, because... So if you look at these ads, you'll understand that, you know, this is targeted for advertising, right? Mm. Because it's 
advertising has essentially evolved with the advent of data. Yeah. Because back even like a decade ago, I would say that how advertising would work is you would I would open a magazine mm-hmm. and I would look all these different kinds of ads, and not all of it would be relevant, right? And this is where you know this is targeted advertising is beneficial to users because. I would open a magazine and maybe not every ad is relevant to me. Yeah. Whereas with targeted advertising, because these companies can classify you into a certain segment that, hey, you know what, you're maybe a 25-year-old man uh, who lives in Canada, right? So they'll accordingly, based on your preferences, like if you're someone who likes soccer or if you're someone who likes basketball, they'll show you products or, you know, target you with ads specific to your preferences. Mm-hmm. So it... As a consumer or as a user, I think you all benefit from that. Yeah, because, I definitely enjoy that. Right? Yeah, because I definitely enjoy that. Essentially, I'm able to save my time in, in the sense that I'm not going through, like, flipping through pages which are not relevant for yeah. me. But I'm also seeing things that are I know are specific to me, relevant mm-hmm. for me. And it also helps me make a choice from a wide range of options. Mm-hmm. But... Targeted advertising also benefits businesses because, you know, data-driven marketing helps them to identify consumers and uh, their preferences and essentially deliver on products and through advertising based on what they would want to see as opposed to spending resources and time and their money on ads, you know, on billboards in Mm -hmm. neighborhoods where the demographic they're targeting might not even be living, right? Yeah, and thinking about what you said about the magazines, Mm -hmm. most, say, even fashion magazines I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, most of the ads are all luxury brands. And then there are small businesses who maybe have a new clothing or apparel product coming out and Mm -hmm. they can use that data, that data procedure to get their new product out. Yeah, Yeah. Small businesses could really benefit from that. Yeah, Yeah. because Mm -hmm. then, you know, you you might not have the resource to access a magazine space. Yeah, like only Gucci does that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's look at another collector of data. You know, and this is a term that, you know, I was like, oh, okay, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's called data brokers. And according to Wired.com, data brokers are defined as firms who compile information from publicly available sources like pro- your property records, marriage licenses, court cases. They may also gather your medical records, mm-hmm. uh, your browsing history, yeah. uh, loyalty cards, all the time, you know, <laughs> you think you got that card to get some points. That information is essentially up for sale. Yes. Um, your social media connection and your online purchases. So we're going to elaborate a bit more about data brokers in, in, in a few minutes. Um, so let's talk about banks. We've already talked about social media and how they use targeted advertising. So we'll move into banks, which is probably not something many people know about, how data is maybe beneficial to banks. Big data is beneficial to banks and how and what the challenges are behind it. So this is actually a sector where I think that big data actually has a lot of potential to work in our favor. Financial institutions or banks, they're utilizing big data to increase cybersecurity, mm-hmm. to make it more safe for their uh, customers. And at the same time, they're offering like innovative and personalized items to their customers so that their customer experience is so much better. And then they can also achieve customer loyalty. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think big data really has potential here mm-hmm. to do well. I agree. Yeah. And then like going back to advertising, if you've seen your advertising come up consistently, then you know that your web movements are kind of being tracked, right? And that I guess most people know, but I don't know if many people know that companies, they're not just recording your, say, your clicks mm-hmm. or your searches, but they're also recording the exact movements of your mouse, mm-hmm. which is something that the banks also do. So, so say the way that you press, the way that you scroll, the way that you type on a phone screen or keyboard while you're in the banking app, 
that's very unique, right? That's very unique, almost like your fingerprints are or like your facial features are. Mm-hmm. They are different to each person. Yeah. So many banks are using this or are beginning to use this technology to fight fraud. And they do this by tracking visitors' physical movements as they use their websites mm-hmm. and apps. So um, an example of this is the Royal Bank of Scotland, mm-hmm. which uses a software designed by a company called Biocatch. Mm-hmm. And um, Maisha, do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. So essentially, you know, RBS, they hired the software company in New York. And what essentially the software does is it creates user profile based on each customer or each, yeah, each customer's gestures, which is then compared against the customer's movements every time the customer returns to the website. Mm-hmm. According to the software company who created it for the bank, the system can detect imposters with 99% accuracy. That's pretty high. That's really high. Right? Yeah. Um, so this is extremely helpful in ensuring the financial security of users as you were saying. So, for example, a few months ago, um, the software picked up unusual signals coming from one of the bank's wealthy customer from their account. So after the bank or the, actually the customer logged in, um, or whoever was actually trying to log in, yeah. the visitor used the mouse's scroll wheel, mm-hmm. something the customer had never done before. So this just goes to show how accurate the software was. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the, code cool. on the, yeah. the code on the online banking website was, right? So it detected something that usually the customer doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Then the person who was trying to log into the account uh, typed in the numerical strip at the top of the keyboard, not the side number pad that the usually the customer typically does. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the bank system kind of alarm bells went off and they kind of blocked the account, you know, stopped any transaction yeah. from happening. And once they did an investigation, they found that the account was being hacked and the, essentially they protected the client from using losing a significant amount of money. So, see, with this, my issue is this, you know how they say that there's a 99% chance of catching the imposter. Great. Yeah. But but that 1% chance that you don't catch it, mm-hmm. if I'm tired or mm-hmm. if I am Good like point, yeah. sick or something, my movement might be different. Yeah. Would it mean that I'm not able to then access my account? Um, I'm sure there's solutions in place if yeah. something like that happens. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like with computers are so smart right now like algorithms can figure out anything right so i feel like they could probably figure out say maybe during the nighttime certain patterns are different Mm -hmm, maybe during the mm -hmm. weekend certain patterns are different but even given that i think the more that we utilize an app or the Mm -hmm. more that we utilize something Mm -hmm. the smarter the machine learning gets right like the smarter it gets to detect how we are yeah yeah so i'm hoping that's what happens and i'm hoping there's some provisions in place Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. that case but yeah so another benefit of um of, I think, using big data in banking is actually in J.P. Morgan Chase, they have this database automation initiative called COIN. Mm-hmm. So the machine learning algorithm, which is powered by the company's private cloud network, is used to reduce the time needed to review documents that, say, bankers review oh, really? for, say, loan applications or um, something like that, right? And this task could take many hours of work, but now, mm-hmm. that now the machine, with the data it has, it can just process that mm-hmm. and review that application way quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely benefits here. So actually, you know, if you're collecting data from your consumers and how they're how they are essentially typing or swiping when yeah. they're visiting the bank's websites, or as you mentioned, how JP works with Coin, I think 
you know, definitely there are upsides to it. Like if I was the bank, I would argue that I'm doing this in order to ensure greater financial security for yeah. my clients, mm-hmm. for the benefit of my clients. Because yeah. at the end of the day... And convenience, yeah. yeah. at the end of the day, I would appreciate that. I would appreciate exactly. that, you know, that is a part of providing great customer service that mm-hmm. you're kind of looking out for me, right? Yeah. So... As I mentioned earlier, that you know, when I was explaining what data brokers is, and we can go a bit, a bit, we can go in a, to a bit more detail when we're talking about with respect to how in the medical community data brokers play a role. Mm-hmm. So, data brokers specialize in gathering information in, say, with respect to uh, in the medical community from hundreds of millions of hospitals and doctors' records, as well as from prescription and insurance claims and laboratory tests. Because what data brokers are essentially doing is they're creating data sets. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they will remove the identifying bits of it, like the names, the email address, or yeah. the social security numbers, you know, and that is what is up for sale to uh, industries. So say, for example, in the medical community, um, pharmaceutical industry can look at that data and precisely tailor an advertising, com- uh, advertising campaign to promote a new drug. So one would say that, you know, you can remove uh, social security numbers, names, and detailed addresses to protect people's privacy, privacy yeah. because it's medical information that is quite sensitive yeah, and that's extremely private, right? But simply removing those bits of information doesn't, you know, give you anonymity anymore, yeah. especially in this day and age, because data mining tools can allow a person to go through multiple databases containing anonymized and non-anonymized data yeah. to kind of like, you know, put together. Yeah, put two, two and two together, two. yeah. Yeah, and you know who it you is. You figure it out. So, for example, and this a Harvard professor, a Harvard University professor, Latanya Sweeney, used such data mining methods um, when she was a grad student at MIT back in 1997. So, mm-hmm. you know, methods and tools are much more advanced now but back then she did it she used it to identify um the massachusetts governor william weld in publicly available hospital records so you she was able to identify one specific person and you know all she had to do was compare the supposedly anonymous hospital data Mm -hmm. you know which data brokers put up for sale for other companies and that's fine you can do that because it's as long as you're not able to identify someone the data is anonymous you can exchange data sets between businesses, right? But all she had to do was compare the supposedly anonymous hospital data about state employees to voter registration rolls for the city of Cambridge, Massachusetts, where she knew the governor lived. Soon she was able to zero in on like certain records based on age and gender that could have only belonged to the governor and that detailed a recent visit he made to hospital, including his diagnosis and the prescriptions he took home with him. So, you know, even though the data set was anonymous, you can easily kind of like tie together other tools. Exactly. You're able to identify the person. That's what the Facebook thing we were just looking at, right? They were saying that um, the information that they get from the different apps and businesses, they they match it to the information in Facebook. Without revealing the identity. Yeah, without revealing identity, but... I'm sure you can, you know, yeah. figure it out. <laughs> and then you know whose information you're actually using. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So f- moving on from medical data, we've been talking about facial recognition now. Mm-hmm. And an example of this, or I guess one of the only places right now that mm-hmm. is using it, embracing a, it almost. On a massive scale. Yeah, using it on a massive scale and a lot of its citizens are embracing it is China. They use facial recognition now or data from facial recognition mm-hmm. to identify identify their citizens for various reasons mm-hmm. now the benefits of having having this data facial recognition data is that 
once again, it's convenience of the citizens, convenience of the customers, right? So say you go into a store, you can do a facial recognition and they mm-hmm. can pull up a bunch of data about you, some trends, behaviors, and then they can target you that, give mm-hmm. you targeted or like say more specialized mm-hmm. items and sell you more things better that way. Or you can log into mobile apps with facial recognition. You can say you're just trying to withdraw money from an ATM, office access, access to offices. So you get rid of the That's old all, key badge system. Yeah. Right? So the main thing here is convenience. That's what facial recognition data can give you. Mm-hmm. But the flip side to that is that the government can also use this data, right? Mm-hmm. So this facial recognition data through, through CCTVs that are set up on the streets. Yeah. The government can access these and they can use it to dictate the behavior of their citizens, which mm-hmm. is kind of what they're trying to do with their social credit system. Mm-hmm. So say you're walking down the street and you're um, you're crossing incorrectly or you're riding a bike mm-hmm. and you go into a certain path that's obstructing other people or you're smoking on a train. So these behaviors are picked up by facial recognition mm-hmm. devices and then you are kind of judged for it, you know, or you're kind of... Or you have points taken away from you because of that. You know which what is this, part of the you know what this reminds me of? <laughs> I know. <laughs> what you say. hit it, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's the, an episode from a Netflix show, Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. You've got like a rating system. It shows next to your face. Yeah. And the other person can see your rating. Yeah. And can see your rating decline and not choose to interact with you because you're for lower rating. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah. So what the government does is they use these the social credit system yeah. or your low ranking to ban you from certain services. Say you won't be able to book a flight or within domestically, not internationally, obviously, because it's not... For a behavior that is natural to you, but is not sanctioned by them. Yeah, that's not the social norm, essentially. <laughs> yeah, so maybe you won't be able to book a domestic flight. Yeah. Or you won't be able to go on a high-speed train or you won't be able to buy property in your region because this is your credit. This is yeah. your ranking, essentially, which is very judgmental. It yeah. is. And like the service, it's not... Like it's owned by the government, the economy of it's relatively see why free Hong market. Kong people are protesting. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. Well, it's it's a the economy of this is it's a free market, but the party and the state, in China can part can they can they can potentially completely control the companies that or the startups that provide this facial recognition. Who actually collect this facial recognition for data. the convenience and benefit? Of yeah, people. exactly. And yes. a lot of benefits yeah. that you mentioned, right? Ethics become a huge deal here, right? Yeah. Because how is it really going to be used? Like, just because I smoked in public or I crossed the street when I shouldn't have... Does that, yeah, yeah. Does that mean that I shouldn't be able to buy property? Yeah. Does that mean I'm a bad person? Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a slippery slope. Definitely. I mean, mm-hmm. And know, facial recognition is always tricky. Like, even with surveillance, most people... I, I don't know how I would feel being surveilled all the time, right? Yeah. Well, maybe we are being surveilled. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I think I think looking through like these all these like different industries in which you know data or even sectors or governments where data is so heavily used and you know we're we're talking about data that is directly collected from consumers. Mm-hmm. Um and essentially the question that we're trying to or the, the issue that we're looking at is about users privacy, your individual right to privacy. And data right now some Experts have predict or have uh, according to some experts, data has surpassed oil as the world's most valuable resource. Mm-hmm. And this is very interesting because you know just about a century ago is when you know oil kind of was discovered. Oil was the most valuable resource yeah. at the time, and like after a century later, it's data. And as I mentioned before, it's like data is like 
those who live in Canada can understand that understand this. Dana is like the oil sands in Alberta. Yeah, <laughs> really like you know it needs to be refined to be mm. able to use it. So similarly, then data needs to be extracted, cleaned, mm-hmm. and then processed, and then you can get find those insights, the trends, the patterns yeah, yeah. that businesses will benefit from. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So previously we would see that, you know, Facebook, YouTube, and even, you know, banks and even uh, pharmaceutical industries who are using these uh, data sets they obtain from data brokers, you know. Mm. At the end of the day, all these companies, their intention is to provide their users, their yeah. uh, customers with more convenience and greater benefits, yeah. greater security in banking. Um, more personalized experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And... Previously, these companies would have these detailed terms and services. Like, um, we've all seen it. I never read them. (laughs) Exactly. Me neither. And I think a lot of people listening are like, yeah, we don't really read it. Because let's let's face it, you see a huge essay in the middle of the day. And you're like, come on, man, I'm not going to waste my time on this. Right? And it's also on the company's part. It's their fault, too. Because they kind of fill it with all this, like, legal jargon. Mm -hmm. And who really reads it? Now, that Mm -hmm. makes me question that if you really cared about your users... You would be, you know, be more mindful. Be more user-friendly. Exactly. exactly. Thank yeah. you. Great, great, great mm-hmm. term there. So when it comes to privacy, big data companies or companies who are using essential data, and in this day and age, it's everyone, right? Because in order to get ahead in the game, get ahead in the industry, you have to use data to mm-hmm. transform how you do your business. Yeah. And you have a responsibility towards your users to be transparent about the data that you're collecting and using. Yeah. So companies each take responsibility of not just collecting and using that data to provide mm-hmm. services to the users, but also protecting the data and informing us of mm-hmm. how our data is being used, right? Because this Facebook thing that we talked about and how we walk through it kind of, like, yeah. that was informative. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'd like to know. Um, how, I'm, I just feel a bit more informed, but I'm still yeah. a bit confused. I think that's also a relatively new feature. I'm yeah. sure it's after the scandal. <laughs> <laughs> the Cambridge Analytical scandal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it also kind of stemmed from how a lot of people might not be familiar with this, when European Union implemented the General Data yes. Protection Regulation in uh, April 2018. Yes. And this regulation was actually in the works for a couple of years. So mm-hmm. it's not something that happened EU, as a result of uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal. Yeah. It was in the works for a couple of years. And the reason it was there is because there was a lot of backlash that Facebook and Google was getting from Europe. And surprisingly, it's Europe that's taking a charge in mm-hmm. users' privacy and protecting users' privacy. Because Facebook and Google was getting a lot of backlash around 2015 and 2016 regarding how they were handling user data. Mm-hmm. And the European Union was like, nope, you got to like fix how you do this. you got to be... Uh, organize better, handle things better, protect users better. Yeah. And as part of the general data protection regulations, um, uh, as among its requirements, they are that f- companies must notify users of a data breach within 72 hours of discovering it. Mm-hmm. DoorDash should not do it within 72 hours. <laughs> Six months. <laughs> um, companies must request user consent in a clear, accessible way. And I think this is where, you know, all those terms and conditions, legal jargon, by the way, should be thrown out the window because it needs to be user-friendly. Yeah. Another uh, of the requirements for the GDPR is that companies must allow data portability, meaning users can ask for a copy of their information and, you know, take it off to another platform if they want to use it. Mm-hmm. So say, for example, if there was a competitor for Facebook, which 
there isn't, <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, right now, as I was able to download my Facebook information, I should be able to, you know, create a new account with a competitor and use all that existing information to transfer, right? exactly yeah. transfer my profile. Mm-hmm. Um, the fourth requirement of this GDPR, and this one is a bit tricky because it also includes the right to be forgotten, that the user has a right to be forgotten, meaning people can ask platforms to stop disseminating and halt third-party access to or delete their data. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say it's tricky, because in this day and age of internet, when once you put something on the internet, yeah, it's up it there, away. right? So yeah. how, how do you do it? And if it's not deleted entirely, do you mm-hmm. blame, say, Google for not being able to remove for not remove being able to remove it data, entirely? Yeah. Or is other com- other internet sites are using it, right? Yeah. Um, but essentially, this regulation has re- was really the first of its kind in being so mm-hmm. comprehensive yeah. and so up-to-date with how the world, the digital world is now. Yeah. And this has truly, like, set the bar for people yeah. to, like, move forward to understanding how to, you know, hold these large companies accountable mm-hmm. to handling their users' data. Yeah, and California is following suit. They drafted up the California Consumer Privacy mm-hmm. Act, mm-hmm. and it became a, it became law in 2018, but it's going to go into effect in 2020, mm-hmm. and the statutes are pretty much the same, you know? Uh, CCPA, it gives consumers the right to ask businesses to disclose the data mm-hmm. that they hold on to. Mm-hmm. They request that the data be deleted. Yeah. They, they require that the sale of the data to third yeah. parties is restricted, and they sue for data breaches. So the it's, law is essentially kind of... It kind of mirrors mm-hmm. the... European Union's one, yeah. maybe even a bit stricter. Yeah, some would and say. that's that's good, right? That yeah. you know, there's a good, there's a realization among governments across the world that you know what, companies have been making money of the data, and users have been benefiting from these services. But at the end of the day, there needs to be a certain accountability and responsibility exactly. of protecting the users' yeah. data. Mm-hmm. And GDPR first Europe did it, and now you know California is implementing it. Essentially, this is what is allowed. This is what actually you know. Uh, you know, forced Facebook, I'd say, yeah. to create such detailed ideas about their ads, mm-hmm. about, you know, I was able to download my Facebook information. Yeah. And you can do it for even for Google. Yeah. Uh, you can go to Google in your settings and kind of download all your um, entire Google history. And it's going to be much bigger, mm-hmm. more than two gigs, maybe like yeah. a couple hundred gigs, because it combines Google Maps, Gmail, and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you now at least have access to what data they're using. Yeah. So that's good. That's step one. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it didn't just force these big companies. Yeah. It almost changed their tone. Like, mm-hmm. now now big companies are, they're actually advocating for regulation. Like, yeah. they're working with governments. They're telling governments, no, we need yeah. stricter data. So, stricter laws like, yeah. for data. Yeah. So that's, we're changing things, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So that big data versus privacy, that's one debate. But the consequences of big data, they go much further because mm-hmm. the data that we use, like you mentioned at the beginning, the data that we, the data that's collected is not necessarily mm-hmm. what's crucial. What's crucial is the inferences that are made from this data. Mm-hmm. And something that is also important when we think about big data is the bias that comes along with mm-hmm. it. The bias that those inferences have, right? Yeah. So and think in, about, yeah. in the AI and the machine learning. Yeah, exactly. How that bias is perpetuated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we won't get too much into that, but mm-hmm. just an example of that is predictive policing. Mm-hmm. So predictive policing is when they use the data, and this data can be like the crime type, the time of crime, the location, mm-hmm. and they use it to predict predict where a crime is most likely going to happen. And then mm-hmm. the cops get these data points, and then they can go patrol the areas based on that data. Yeah. So instead of relying on, say, a tip on phone, they can rely on data and kind of just patrol 
suspicious areas, right? Mm-hmm. But what makes it complicated is when you're not assessing time, location, and crime, but you're assessing people. So now what you're doing is you're trying to determine instead of the time, you're trying to determine who is likely to commit a crime. Mm-hmm. And that's when there's no denying that there's going to be a racial bias, right? Of course, yes. yes. So we're minorities, gonna, yeah. minorities are more likely. Exactly. We're not going to get too deep into that. We'll talk about that another time, but that's something to think about. And along with bias, another issue to think about is elections, right? Yeah. That's a hot topic right now. Data can lead to some influence in elections. Yeah. Yeah, we know about that. And we will, in future episodes, definitely talk about these different issues. Yeah. Uh, but today, we just want to keep it to one of these to aspects, privacy, which yeah. is users' privacy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. while we're on privacy... So big data, I think it really has a lot of potential, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of potential that can be harnessed. And we're making so many significant progresses with big data technologies. But the problem here is we can't depend on technology alone to address this major issue that big data poses, which is privacy. Privacy, it's getting so hard to, I would say, even regulate, even with these new regulations that are coming out, because big data is just getting so big. There's so much information, you know, mm-hmm. and this expanding scale is making it hard to maintain anonymity, mm-hmm. as we talked about. There's a possibility that these laws may not be able to do what they're aiming to do, right? But um, yeah, so with all this information out there and big data having so much potential, I think, you know, we can use it to good, we can work on it, and eventually, hopefully, all it does is benefit us. Mm-hmm. And as the challenges come up, we'll deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you don't even need to be on the internet anymore to have your data collected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how does that make you feel, Misha? Does that make you feel like your right to privacy is being hampered? Are you going to go into solitude? Are you going to leave the internet? <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Uh, it's difficult to not access any of these services when data is being integrated in almost everything, like as we described above, right? It's not just social media. It's even in different industries and different sectors. But I think when I did, you know, when I went into Facebook and mm-hmm. I downloaded my information and I saw the ads and I saw all of that and I saw the categories in which I was being blocked into. Yeah. I don't know. It, it made me think that, you know, us humans, mm-hmm. what makes us us is yeah. our unpredictabilities, yeah. you know, our, because yeah. there's so many variables in each of us that are different, mm-hmm. right? And each of our behavior cannot be predicted with 100% accuracy. Otherwise, what would be the difference between us and machines? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like this information that I saw, I, I knew in my mind, right? Like, I know I live away. I live away from home where I live abroad. Yeah. Um, like one of that, and that was one of the categories I was in in Facebook. Um, but seeing it into boxes made me, was like a huh kind of moment. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for us to understand how our behavior and the quantitative measure of that, which is our data, mm-hmm. how that data is actually a currency. You know, we might think that we are using all these services. And I used to think it when I started using Facebook and yeah. all these social media services. I used to think that all of these services are free. And uh, we all did, right? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm literally, I have the world in my fingertips and I'm paying nothing. Yeah. Right? But in reality, you're not, you are the one who's helping these companies mm-hmm. run their businesses mm-hmm. because Facebook and Google survive on ad revenues and yes. they are getting such huge amounts of ad re- revenues and ridiculous profits because you're handing your data. Yeah. And you're wondering if they're going to put ethics above money, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah, because you're you, saying you're going to you're support these regulations. You say you're going to you think about your customers first, but yeah. money is also quite enticing, right? Yeah, exactly. And so if, if you think about it, that it's like, you know, I'm handing you my data. 
right? So I'm I'm hoping that you respect sort of my privacy, mm-hmm. you know, and I hope that you don't like hand it out to like all third parties, that, yeah. you know, and most importantly, all of these things that is actually happening behind the curtain, I want to be aware of it because yeah. it is my data. At the end of the day, I am the user. I have right to privacy. It is my data. I need to know what you do yeah, with it. Agreed. So I think it's great that it's step one. I'm able to at least see it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of baffling yeah. <laughs> when you kind of see everything. Yeah. How much of data they have accumulated is is mind boggling, honestly. Yeah. Um, and we need to kind of step back and realize that you know what, be an informed user. Yes. It's, it's no longer okay. I think mm-hmm. even as users, it's no longer okay to be like, oh no, it's okay, whatever. No, no. You are you giving your data. Hold them accountable. Yeah. You know, look into Preach. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And as Facebook likes to say, I'm an early adopter of tech. So I'm going to say that I have faith in big data yeah. as someone who likes technology. <laughs> yeah. I really do think that there are so many benefits to this. Mm-hmm. Medical benefits to patients, to consumers, to um, people who are banking. There's just so many. There's a lot of benefits. So I'm hoping that. And most importantly, yeah, the these convenience, companies, yeah, right? Exactly. Convenience is great. And I'm hoping that these companies take these regulations seriously. They work with governments mm-hmm. seriously and understand that privacy is important. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, we're not machines. You can't keep churning out numbers and likes from us yeah. to determine how to get more money. Um, we're humans. Yeah. You need to understand that. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Well, with that, we end. Yeah. See you guys. Bye.